Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 78 of the Diamond Duo podcast, the 2023 World Series edition of the podcast. I'm Tony Puglisi, joined as always by my wonderful co-host and co-producer Tom Bauer to bring you the very best in baseball that was over the championship series and, of course, here in the World Series. This episode of the Diamond Duo podcast is brought to you by Michael Myers. Why? Because much like Michael Myers, the Rangers lineup is on a killing spree of all opposing pitchers all across the league. By all across the league, I mean two teams. But hey, you might be asking, Tony, why the Michael Myers reference? That's a little weird. Well, dear listener, that's because when we are recording this, it is just about Halloween. And you know what that means? Trick or treat, mother (laughs) Yeah! Woo! (laughs) <laughs> we can never pass on a good tradition like that. <laughs> Me screaming into the microphone on Halloween. Now three years in a row. Ah, can't wait for year number four where uh, we do the exact same thing again. <laughs> I mean, hey, we had more of a lead in this time. This one was a little different. And I'm going to be honest, I forgot about it. You told me like, oh, man, like if I had the intro, I would have done my trick or treat mother. And I'm like, wait, I could just lead it into you somehow. Because at the time I wasn't, you know, in love with any of the intros I had in my head. Which truth be told, Tom, when I said that, I don't even think I had an intro in my head. The Michael Myers one, I'll give you the credit for because that was a good. Thank you. That was a good idea. But still, it's Halloween. We can't just let the tradition die after three years. That's that's way too short. Oh, of course not. That would be in the spirit of Halloween, because, you know, it's the holiday about death and all that stuff, because of creepy people and killers and all that stuff in Halloween movies. Uh, (laughs) But, yeah, can't let a tradition like that pass up. It actually would have worked out perfectly if this was episode 79 of the podcast, which it could have been had we not gotten sick last week, so apologies for not recording uh, during the (laughs) CS and being able to preview the World Series. Sorry for getting sick. Sorry about that. Our bad. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so that happened. So now it's episode 78, but we had to sneak that tradition in somehow. It's the World Series time, baby. It's the most exciting time of October. We might have another Mr. November, potentially. We'll have to see whoever's legendary heroics is going to take over the month of November, because it is guaranteed we are going to have November baseball, at least as of the time of this recording. I don't even know why I'm saying that. It's guaranteed to happen no matter what time it was going to happen, but... That being said, I'm just going to get right into it. We're recording on Monday, October 30th, uh, night of Game 3 of the World Series between the Texas Rangers and somehow, by a miracle, the Arizona Diamondbacks. Yes, the team who I said that would absolutely get schlacked in the NL Wild Card is in the World Series. So that's just a kiss of death that I continue to unleash across Major League Baseball. Uh, go give us a follow on social media at Diamond Duo Pod on Twitter at the Dumb Duo Podcast on Instagram for show content updates, whatever we decide to throw out on a random day. Also, give us a follow sub on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We truly do appreciate it. Five stars, whatever, and blah, 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 blah. Insert more content about giving us a follow here. So, yeah, it's playoff baseball, baby. It's about to wrap up, too, which is very, very sad. Hell yeah. But it's also, again, like I just said, the most exciting time of the year. And Tom, I know I kind of speak for the both of us here based on what we were talking about during the CES, but the back half of this postseason has been fun. It's been wild. We're going to get into it all right now. We've had memorable games, clutch performances, all-time postseason, for lack of a better term, performances. Hate to use the same word twice, but it's been fun. 
I I know you definitely didn't expect the National League uh, to pan out the way it did. I still can't get over that you said the Rangers and the Arizona Diamondbacks would lose in the first round. I'm still riding high that my World Series pick is still here. <sighs> yes, I'm going to bring that up. Of course you will. But no, I'm not going to give myself credit for the National League because I'll be real. I said the D-backs were going to get bounced too. I didn't think it'd be a schlacking. But even if they even if they got that far in my old bracket, mother of God, they would not have beat the Phillies. We're going to get to the Phillies and why they lost in just a little bit. But this has been an exciting postseason. I can't wait to talk about it on this show. I've been talking about it with all my friends. This is going to be a damn fun show. So Tom, let's get right into it because I want to talk some playoff baseball. And before we get there, we've actually got a couple smaller stories to get to first. First and foremost, we have a farewell to give, Tom, if you recall, and you lovely, lovely listeners will hopefully recall, a couple episodes ago, towards the tail end of the regular season, we had kind of a farewell segment of the show for Adam Wainwright and Miguel Cabrera, some of the more prolific players who are retiring after this year. Well, we're about to have a little mini one right now because former Astros skipper Dusty Baker is officially hanging him up for the second time, but... This time it sounds real. This time he definitely sounds like he's done with the game and he's not going to come back and manage anytime soon unless he really wants to pull a Tony La Russa, And I don't think Dusty wants to go through that much of a villain arc. <laughs> but no, Dusty's officially done. He ends his career as the seventh winningest manager in MLB history over 26 seasons as a skipper. That's incredible. Couple that with a lengthy playing career as well. This is one of the most tenured baseball men we've ever had the privilege of watching in our lives. Moreover, he finally retires with, I suppose, his white whale that he's finally caught. He got his ring last year, as much as I don't like to admit that he did it with the Astros. Like I said last year, he finally got it, and I was happy for him, because if there was any incumbent manager in baseball who deserved it, it was definitely him. And now, as he sails off into the sunset to the great retirement landscape, tread by managers before him, we just want to congratulate him. So we kind of had that sentimental moment about Dusty last year when he got the ring, so I'm not going to go very long on this. Congrats, Dusty, on a fantastic career. You've earned every inch of recognition you're going to get. Absolutely. And I wanted to find the stat. I think I forgot to send it in the group chat. I'm trying to sort through Twitter right now to actually find exactly what I wanted to say. All right, I can't find the stat that I wanted to talk about, but essentially I think it was that he's either participated in or has um, at least uh, managed or something along the lines of like 3% of all Major League Baseball games in the history of the sport. Essentially, the way it was broken down is he started his career playing against somebody who was born, I think, in like 1920 or something like that. And he ended his career managing people who were born in the 2000s. So think about that, just of the career span of Dusty Baker. That truly encapsulates just how long he's been in baseball. But like you were saying, Tony, he spent nearly 30 years managing from 1993, uh, I believe his start was. Yes, it was with the San Francisco Giants. And he ends his career in 2023 at the age of 74, uh, seventh winning winningest manager in Major League Baseball history. He has accumulated over 2,000 wins on his career, 2183 to be exact, which puts him up there. He finally got that ring that he was long chasing. He does have some history is maybe not the greatest when it comes to Game 7s. In fact, I don't think he's ever won a Game 7 in his Major League Baseball uh, managerial career. And that was uh, further testified for when the Texas Rangers defeated the Houston Astros 
in the uh, final game of the ALCS, which, first off, thankfully that happened because I really wanted the Texas Rangers to win and beat the ever-living you-know-what out of the Houston Astros, but still, <laughs> this is a Dusty Baker segment, so I'm going to keep it positive for Dusty Baker. Uh, I'm glad he finally was able to achieve that ring, the one thing he never was able to achieve career and easily going to be a hall, first ballot Hall of Famer if it wasn't already obvious before he got the Houston job. It's going to be completely obvious now. He's had success in every single stop that he's had in his Major League Baseball career with the San Francisco Giants, the Chicago Cubs, the Reds, the Nationals, and the Houston Astros. As a matter of fact, he's at least won 89 games with each one of the clubs that he's managed throughout his Major League Baseball career. At least 89 games. So he's at least made the playoffs with each and every team that he's come across. So congratulations to Dusty Baker on an absolutely fantastic career. He can go enjoy the rest of his life uh, living in the sunset, wherever he chooses to be. He has completely earned it to this point. Uh, Tony, that does mean Houston does need a manager, which mm-hmm. I believe brings up to five total teams, I believe, that are looking for a manager up to this point. I know the Angels are on that list, the Guardians, the Mets, which we'll actually talk about in a few moments here. And then there's two other teams that are escaping me, uh, at the mo- or at least one other team I think is escaping me, but it doesn't really matter because what we need to talk about is that Houston is apparently looking at Joe Espada again uh, for the position <laughs> or potentially, and I pray to God that this does come true, apparently Brad Ausmus might be under consideration <laughs> for the Houston Astros. Please, if there is a God on this planet that oversees life, Please make him manage the Houston Astros just so that way he can bring his string of failures to this franchise. I beg to the almighty power up above that that happens. Yeah, just ask any Tigers fan like our good buddy Jack, who might have known is Brad Ausmus's number one fan. Don't let him tell you otherwise. (laughs) He loves him so much. As any Tigers fan will tell you, or Angels fan, I actually forgot he was there for like a year. And then he was fired as a scapegoat for Arnie Moreno and Perry Manassian being jackasses. But nevertheless, if you hire Brad Ausmus as your manager, that to me is the baseball equivalent of giving up. Of, oh man, we didn't get any good manager. Might as well get this guy who was a decent enough catcher back in his day. And I think he actually played for the Astros for a bit there, Tom. I'm going to look it up to confirm. He did. Uh, Yes, he did. He did. Thank you. So if he ends up back in a managerial role, I'm sorry, I'm going to laugh uncontrollably because, uh, like you said, Tom, if he actually takes up the Astros job, I actually wonder in that case, which this is almost like an immovable object versus the unstoppable force, which is going to win out the Astros tendency to just dominate the American League any chance it gets or Brad Ausmus's tendency to kneecap every team he happens to manage. Now, granted, he was kind of given shoestrings with Detroit and uh, Anaheim, but I'm also not going to hold my breath if Houston actually hires them. Obviously, nothing's official yet. These are just the two rumored candidates that they're looking at. I'm halfway convinced they're going to pull a Trump card out of nowhere and hire Beltron now that the whole scandal has been kind of blown over at this point. You know, I mean, Alex Cora was able to get a job again. I find it hard to believe they'd stalwart Carlos Beltron. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, hey, he did devise a very good way to win for his team. And if I'm the Astros, uh, you're doing everything you can to win. 
not advocating for cheating. This is a subtle dig at what Carlos Beltran did when he was in Houston as an Astro. But nevertheless, that will develop with time, as will every other managerial, I suppose, hiring in the offseason time. And you know, while we're on the topic, why don't we just jump right to this? I know it's not the next thing in the rundown, but I think it makes the most sense. You mentioned the Mets earlier. And we have some shocking news for you folks. We have like the most earth shattering, out of nowhere, big surprise news you could possibly imagine. The Mets have been given permission to interview Craig Council. Wow. <gasps> oh my God. You mean the guy who managed the team who their current general manager or sorry, president of baseball ops used to be employed by? No. You don't say. Um, but yeah, in the least surprising of moves, he's interviewing for the Mets job. If he gets it, it would not surprise me even a little bit. And if that happens, I might actually have faith in the Mets for a change because I'll be the first to say it. I probably said it on this podcast that I wasn't totally on board with the Showalter hiring uh, when they first brought him on. I just didn't think he had that great of a track record when it came to getting teams over the top, which to be fair, Craig Council doesn't have that either. He's kind of got Dusty Baker syndrome himself and that he can't get past game seven when it comes to his teams. But then again, the Brewers also do him no favors in that regard. If anything, Council is renowned as a manager who helps the Brewers over achieve, whether it be, you know, injured pitching or a lack of hitting depth, they usually go a little far than most people expect. And a lot of people in the sport attribute that to Craig Council. So the way everyone's thinking, if you give Craig Council a good team, that might be all he needs to finally get himself a ring. And with the Mets roster, how it's going to look in like a year or two, he might just get that. So again, obviously nothing's official, but just figured share it with y'all. It's a story, albeit not the most surprising one. I found the stat I was looking for. Oh, about Baker? Yes. Uh, it doesn't give me the exact percentage of Major League uh, Baseball history that I was looking for, but I did find the span that I was looking for. So this is actually from Sarah Langs on Twitter from October 26th. As a player, he faced Hoyt Wilhelm, who was born on July 26th of 1922, and as a manager faced Jason Dominguez, who was born February 7th of 2003. That's the span that Dusty Baker... Jesus Christ. <laughs> has had over his career damn near a hundred years 81 years to be exact that's incredible yes that being said i do agree with you with uh the cards that brad osmus was handed that being said he's still a very very bad manager so i don't know why any team would frankly hire him he's had multiple opportunities and he's really failed to land at any spot for a significant amount of time. So at that point, I don't know why he would be considered again. If he wanted to be a bench coach or something like that, that makes sense. But to be a repeat manager in a place in uh, multiple times when you really haven't had a true string of success, that's a little uh, shady. But then again, I like that you brought up Carlos Beltran because he's actually my dark horse for who I think the Astros will inevitably hire. Just because, like you mentioned, Alex Cora got another chance. Carlos Beltran started to get another chance. He started to become a media member. Maybe he wants to get back into the game, and this would be the perfect organization to do it. Uh, Because they'll be desperate for a manager. They love Beltran there, and he'll be associated with there. And yeah, he'll be evil down there because of all the association with all that stuff. (laughs) But I don't know. I I feel like baseball... What's that? 
He'll be evil? Is that what you said? Yeah, I did say he'll be evil because of that picture that everybody has pointed on him. He's that, like, evil, like, guide, that leader that oversaw the uh, whole scandal. So he's going to have that cloud over his picture. But then I was about to say and get into the fact that, like, I think baseball and people within baseball are starting to move past that. So honestly... They might not strike that against him, really, at this point. And, and any team that wouldn't do that is probably the Houston Astros, considering they were the team involved in said scandal. So they would be the true, I don't want to say evil empire, because that's obviously the New York Yankees, but you get my point. They'd be truly bad, going bad, I guess. Into Craig Council, it's the move everybody expected. If he isn't hired, yeah. I don't know what David Stearns is doing. He's his guy from Milwaukee. They clearly have that relationship. Steve Cohen probably wants Craig Council on board. They're going to pay him a boatload of money, and Craig Council is reportedly in, very interested in getting the Mets job, probably because, again, of the money that's going to be involved. He will easily become the highest paid manager in baseball, possibly baseball history, um, based on a year-by-year basis, should he be hired by the New York Mets, because Steve Cohen's piggy bank is seemingly unlimited. And if he wants his guy, he's going to pay a good penny for him. And Craig Council, by the way, Hell of a manager. Like mm-hmm. I mentioned, uh, like a week or two ago, he'll be very analytic coming from the Milwaukee uh, background. So that might be a word of caution for Mets fans. However, in terms of game decisions and all that stuff, he has a good track record. So he would be the perfect guy for the job, in my opinion. So yeah, I, I think we're wholeheartedly agreeing with these uh, managers, Tony. I don't think there's really much speculation uh, going around on the Mets or the Astros in that regard. The one thing I'll say to your point that they'll become evil, so to speak. I feel like the Astros over the past couple of years have kind of embraced that heel mindset, so to speak, to pull a wrestling term out of nowhere. Like the Astros fully relish in that being the villains of baseball. I think especially, you know, when they had Correa and Bregman at their peaks, you know, Altuve, I guess. I I don't know. Is it weird? I never saw Altuve on that level. Obviously, everybody hates Altuve because he's the face and their best player. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe it's just because when the sign stealing thing broke out, Correa just kept throwing jabs with like Cody Bellinger uh, and like defacing, not defacing, but like belittling like Judge deserving the MVP in 2017, which obviously he's defending his teammate. But I feel like Carlos Beltran will be, you know, that piece de resistance of them being baseball's true villains, which they have been. But most people could say like, oh, at least they have a likable enough manager in, in Dusty Baker, some may say. But <laughs> but no, Carlos <laughs> Beltran's going to be that guy that will, I suppose, cement them as baseball's villains, but I'm not going to talk too, too much more on that because I think that goes without saying. I'm going to talk about another team that people like to hate and another individual who's not coming back to that respective organization. Uh, and that team is the New York Yankees. And Aaron Boone will not be returning. No, I'm kidding, but I wish I wasn't. Um, <laughs> it's Sean Casey. He is the scapegoat for this year. Their hitting coach, who was their hitting coach for like two months, I think. I forget how long he was there, Tom, but he's gone. I feel nothing about this. (laughs) This really does feel like one of two things. Either he's going to be the scapegoat for the Yankees hitting like dog this year, even though let's just say that's not exactly on the manager. That's not the manager's job to construct the team. And number two, Casey just wanted to get the hell out of there. Maybe he saw the writing on the wall. Maybe he just didn't vibe well with Cashman because obviously he has that rapport with Boone. Maybe he just didn't want the job, or maybe he wanted to go back to TV. Maybe it's just not a desirable job, which, considering the state of the Yankees right now, I don't blame him. But there's not really much else I want to say, other than I wonder who's going to be next year's scapegoat, when no one except 
Aaron Judge, Anthony Volpe, <laughs> and like a month of Rizzo and Stanton each will be the only contributors to this team. Well, yeah, you took the words out of my mouth. Whoever's going to be the next hitting coach is inevitably going to be the next coach that's probably going to be fired from the New York Yankees organization because they will be the scapegoat for like the ninth time in a row. And yet somehow we have the same GM heading the charge uh, in Brian Cashman. He apparently gets to go through 10 different hitting coaches, but he gets to stay as general manager. So I guess that's just how baseball works. Semantics. <laughs> Sean Casey on his podcast did say the reason that he's not returning. And keep in mind, he was just the interim guy. He was brought in, remember, in the middle of the season for Dylan Lawson. But he went on to say on his podcast that he's not going to be able to come back next year because he has his two daughters at home, uh, quote, I think getting divorced a few years ago. I have those girls 50% of the time. I just can't mm. imagine being away for eight months. So it is for family reasons okay. uh, in that regard. Uh, but notably also, Brandon Cuddy of The Athletic, a great Yankees reporter, give him a follow on Twitter, reported that he was a favorite among the Yankee veterans, obviously. Uh, but he also went on to say in his tweet that there was some disconnect between his teachings and what was taught in the minors and some in-out-of-organization speculated if that contributed in part to the second-half struggles of the rookies, such as Volpe, Peraza, and Perea among every other Yankees rookie that they rotated in the lineup the last two months of the season. It's a knife that goes a little bit further into the Yankees hitting woes with that. And I think it's more stemming from the fact that Sean Casey was probably teaching the guys to more play with their physical attributes, possibly, and to play to their strengths, what they can deliver to the field, instead of necessarily maybe the analytics that they were teaching in the uh, Yankees minor league system. And there's been reports, of course, throughout the entire year that there's disconnect in the Yankees minor league system as a whole, stemming from their use of analytics. And that's why they're having this quote-unquote audit that's going to be a whole bunch of BS when it comes down to it. And we'll probably find out more about that Lovely. in the next three or four months, how they investigated themselves and they found that they're outstanding citizens or something like that. So that's probably what's going to happen. Yeah, Sean Casey not returning for family reasons. I honestly didn't think he would return anyway quite frankly the hitting really didn't get much better uh throughout the second half of the season anyway and yeah they're gonna have to bring in a guy who the minor leaguers can kind of or the rookies the minor leaguers can be a little bit more accustomed to maybe somebody who kind of speaks to them a little bit more it doesn't have to necessarily be analytical but they need to find somebody who can strike the balance between having the respect among the veterans and respect among the rookies uh because that's gonna inevitably lead to much better results all around in the Yankees lineup. I 100% agree. And good catch, by the way, with the reason he actually retired. If he couldn't, uh, retired, mother of God, didn't return. I was not aware of that. So I too wonder where they're going to go with this hire. I, the cynic in me wants to say they're just going to hire another Marcus Timms type. Who knows? Maybe they'll actually promote someone from from within, maybe someone, uh, the minor league system, like bump them up to the majors because we have this youth movement going on now with... Volpe and Peraza hopefully getting full-time reps. Uh, Everson Pereira as well. I know not this year, but Dominguez eventually. Or at least, sorry, at the start of this year, Dominguez, but you know what I mean. Um, it's nothing but speculation at this point. This, like, just happened a couple days ago. I honestly don't know what to expect uh, when it comes to the hitting coach, because most people think, oh, when the hitters are bad, it's all the hitting coach's fault. But that's obviously not how it works. 
Let's actually get a good story going about the Yankees, Tom, because surprisingly enough, we actually do have one. And it's our last story before we get into the playoffs. So let's jump into that really quick. This was actually announced today, and this was a breath of fresh air because I actually forgot about this. The Roberto Clemente Award was announced today, and the winner was none other than Aaron Judge of the New York Yankees. He captures his first Roberto Clemente Award. He accepted it with grace. He was there for the... For the ceremony today, he accepted it alongside Rob Manfred, and he got the award through his work with the Aaron Judge All Rise Foundation, which he started back in 2018, which focuses on inspiring young people. This is from the article on MLB.com, by the way, by Brian Hoke. Focuses on inspiring young people to become responsible citizens in the Bronx and both San Joaquin County and Fresno County, both in California, Judge's native state. These are all communities that are near and dear to his heart. He wants to honor those who have had a positive impact on children while creating a legacy to continue to guide future generations. And this past year, actually, both the Bridge to College and the New York City Autism Charter Schools received support from the All Rise Foundation through its mini-grant program, which to date has supported 26 community-based organizations, public and private agencies, and faith-based organizations. Outstanding work from Aaron Judge, who's always been renowned since he came into the league as one of the nicest, most genuine human beings in the league, and now he's getting rewarded for it. And while any of the 30 men who were up for the award, could have very easily won it. It's tremendous work that they're all doing. And this, there's a reason they call it the best award in the sport is because it celebrates the best people in the sport. I think it's a really great thing that it's gone to judge. Just from a humanitarian perspective, the man's always putting himself out there, going one step beyond. You know, he'll he'll sign a ball for a kid or he'll show up at a hospital with his wife or he'll donate a butt ton of money to these New York-based... Uh, philanthropic organizations, just something you love to see. And for me, when it comes to Judge, he always struck me as someone who would win it eventually. Obviously, you can't really predict the Roberto Clemente Award, so it would, to me, it was just a matter of when, not if. And this was a pleasant surprise to see he got it so early in his career. So congrats to Aaron Judge and the 29 other men nominated. Truly remarkable work by every last one of them. I really don't have much more to add other than I'm proud of my captain. Oh, captain, my captain for winning the award. That'll at least be two New York Yankees that win an award this year, along with Garrett Cole, who will inevitably win the American League Cy Young Award. Hopefully I didn't just jinx that. But at any rate, uh, (laughs) I just want to point out two things that happened in the press conference that were pretty uh, funny about... uh, Judge winning the Roberto Clemente Award. So somehow Mookie bets. I'm not going to play the audio uh, because I don't feel like siphoning through it later on. Uh, but apparently he somehow got into the media scrum for all this and was able to ask a question to Aaron Judge. And his question was <laughs> what it meant to be the tallest Roberto Clemente Award winner in the awards history. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so, that's funny. That is absolutely hilarious. Um, and then this one is more concerning than funny. Uh, but um, when he found out he was uh, gonna win that he won the award, he said he was working out with his oh. wife. He was concerned that a trade had happened, uh, and that's why he had gotten the phone call. So that's a little <laughs> concerning. Uh, but he said it with a smile on his face. So we'll we'll take it as a uh, as a funny <laughs> joke. Although he'll probably be getting phone calls about trades later on in the offseason from Brian Cashman, uh, Hal Steinbrenner and company, when they inevitably and hopefully have those conversations uh, with Sir Aaron Judge. So again, congratulations to Aaron Judge, All Rise, the All Rise Foundation. Give it a look if you're more curious about that and the great, great things 
that the always humble Aaron Judge continues to do on and off the field for everybody. He's truly an amazing person, and I don't think anybody can say anything negative about him in that regard. He just always comes across as a fantastic person, always respectful, doesn't ever talk down about people. So good for him for winning the Roberto Clemente Award. All right. Now we can finally get into some playoff baseball, baby. And we are going to start go. with where we left off in last uh, in the last episode, episode 77 of the Diamond Duo podcast from two weeks ago. And that is the championship series across the American and National League. And we're going to start to breeze through this because we do know we're in the World Series. But we do have some points that we do want to hit upon uh, through each series. The more interesting series, arguably, because both actually turned out to be quite interesting, because play- the playoff baseball scene actually came alive in the championship series. It felt a little bit down because teams just kind of seemed like they were dominating each other throughout throughout the uh, wild card in the DS. So it's nice that the championship series, both of them actually went to seven games. And we're going to start in the American League here. This is at least a series that I had a lot more fun uh, watching Tony and the one that I preferred to watch just because of the antics and the complete sheer craziness and drama that had happened in the last few games. But in all Texas rivalry showdown, the race for the AL West went down to the final game of the season. It was inevitable that this one went to a game seven. Starting with game three and game four, I'm literally just going to breeze through these because these are nothing games compared to five, six, and seven. Uh, game three, at this point, Texas was up 2 nothing in the series, and they the series shifted to the home of the Rangers, and the Houston Astros pretty much showed why they're such a gr- great road team this season. Uh, they bounced back after a very, very shaky start from Max Scherzer, playoff Max Scherzer, at least of recency, so that wasn't good. And Christian Javier, he stretched his playoff scoreless streak to 20 and the third inning pitched. Uh, that would soon be snapped, and only a few games later, thankfully. <laughs> and yeah, that game happened. Game three went to the Houston Astros, and game four, well, um, yeah. This one was definitely all Houston Astros as well. This one evened up the series to a piece. All Astros all the time. They dropped 10 runs to uh, to tie the series up at two. And Jose Abreu continued, notably, to completely go off on the Texas Rangers. Uh, him and Jordan Alvarez were really the two X-Factors. And Jose Altuve, but we'll get to him in a minute, a little prick. That, uh... <laughs> they, they Tom carried... <laughs> I'm sorry, Tom Bauer, say something not mean about Jose Altuve challenge. Impossible. Please continue. He's a great guy, great talent, hate his guts. So, yeah, Jose Abreu, <laughs> tape measure shots, Altuve specifically, uh, funnily enough, he, that was his 100th career playoff game, so I guess congratulations to that, whatever. Uh, and that's where we were after game four. <laughs> Series tied 2-2, and then game five happened, and this was an absolutely bonkers game from start most notably to how it finished tony take it away so game five of this series took a few years off my life i'm just gonna front with that because i went into this thinking okay if the astros win there's almost no shot they would not go to the world series even if they were kind of you know shaky at home they had justin verlander the next day and i know christian javier was set to pitch the next day who like tom said had a crazy scoreless streak going so 
to, in my head, this was must win for the Rangers. And everything was going about all nice and smooth all throughout innings, uh, all throughout the fifth inning. Two runs, uh, sorry, one run apiece, my mistake. And then the bottom of the sixth inning happened. In the bottom of the sixth, the Astros had actually scored in the top of the inning, making it a two to one ball game. That's when Babe Ruth himself of this postseason, get ready for this name, we're going to be mentioning a lot, mentioning him a lot. Uh, Adolis <laughs> Garcia stepped to the plate and f- demolished a pitch. And I mean demolished. He hit it 108 miles per hour into the left field seats with two men on. That was enough to give them the lead. So it's now 4-2 Rangers, and Adolis accentuates it with a sick-as-hell bat spike. Gave me flashes of of, uh, Jose Bautista, who famously flipped his bat on the Rangers. So only made sense that the cycle kind of came full circle here. Adolis absolutely clowning the Astros. (laughs) So uh, it's 4-2. And then it immediately uh, starts to get out of hand. Let's say that. Because the one problem with Adolis pimping the shit out of that home run is that Brian Abreu is a massive bitch. And I'm not I'm not shortchanging when I say that. He plunked Adolis with a 98 mile per hour fastball with the first pitch in his next at bat. The most obvious intentional plunking I've ever seen in my life. It was so obviously intentional, and what made it even funnier is the fact that Evan Carter was already on first base, so they put a runner in scoring position when they're already down two. I don't get that. Why are you this petty in what is what could be a stranglehold game for you? But nevertheless, Adolis took exception, got right in Martin, uh, Martin Maldonado's face, the benches and bullpen all cleared, and then all chaos ensued. It was a big old tussle, a big old baseball shoving match. He said this, he said that. Uh, both Abreu and Garcia got tossed, in addition to Tusty Baker, which I found kind of funny trying to protest what was happening. But no, everyone got ejected, basically, that was involved in the incident, and it remained 4-2 to two through that inning. And then the top of the ninth happened, Tom, and this was the part... <sighs> That took a year or two off my life, because if you lovely ladies and gentlemen remember a great year, and I mean it, a great year, 2019, back before COVID, back before the 2020s, back when life was simpler, and the Yankees were getting their sh- clowned on by the Houston Astros, thanks to, Ho- thanks to Jose Altuve's moonshot in Game 6 of the CS. Well, uh, he did it to Chapman, who is now on the Rangers, and now he did it to Chapman's teammate in Jose Leclerc. He hit a back-breaking, go-ahead, three-run home run, and the Astros win 5-4. to four. Tom, I'm completely on your boat, and I hate Jose Altuve, but I cannot deny that this dude is seriously special. Like, in my lifetime, he's straight up one of the best postseason hitters I've ever seen. He's up there with Manny Ramirez. He's up there with David Ortiz, who are two players I also hated when I was a kid. (laughs) But, you know, you just got to respect game when it shows up at your doorstep, and Jose Altuve has absolutely got it. So... One of the craziest championship series games I've ever seen. Abreu, I believe, was actually suspended for the remainder of the CS, Tom, which, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's pretty funny. Um, And no, it kicked off what I like to call a biblical swath of revenge on the part (laughs) of Adolis Garcia. So that's what happened in game five. Tom, why why don't you give your thoughts and then regale us more in this tale of anger and revenge on the part of Adolis? Absolutely. I will start by correcting you about Brian Abreu. So he was suspended two games, but it was not served in the ALCS. There was an appeal uh, hearing that had Mm. to happen, and Major League Baseball upheld the suspension. It is going to happen, but it's going to take place in the first two games of the 2024 season. So, aka, there's really no consequence to being a total 
Mm, I'm not going to censor myself. A total D, you know what? Um, <laughs> not D back. Think a little bit more creatively. <laughs> so, yeah, there's apparently no consequences to doing that in the postseason, and I under I don't understand why Adolis Garcia honestly got ejected in this game. Brian Abreu wholeheartedly deserved it. Dusty Baker stuck up for his guy and was probably bitching and moaning that given the circumstance, you cannot eject this guy. Or maybe he was pleading for Adolis Garcia to get ejected as well. Garcia, yeah, his reaction kind of caused a scene, but that was justified. He had just gotten hit with a pitch because he had hit a home run, and Brian Abreu is a complete massive baby and doesn't deserve to be on the baseball field for doing that. Complete showed move out of Brian Abreu, and I, I don't want to despair Jane by his character, but that, that that does not earn you any brownie points, man. You're not Joe Kelly, and you can freely plunk anybody that you want because they're a total you-know-what. Uh, so, you don't have that jurisdiction here, Brian Abreu. So that happened. I mean, I under- I understand that his actions, again, caused the whole thing. I don't think he should have been tossed. And also, I would like to point out, Major League Baseball and the umpires, whoever was sorting out the whole mess, they took forever to get that sorted out. I think it took like 15 or 20 minutes to get that whole thing going. And people were saying that potentially iced Leclerc and all that, but to which I retort, the Texas Rangers were walking and getting on base and whatnot. So either way, LeClerc was still going to have to wait a little while, and inevitably Jose Altuve just showed why, again, he's one of the best postseason players of all time. And I, again, I, I will actually give him a compliment, and I will end the sentence there and not completely diss him at all, because that is a factual statement that he is one of the greatest postseason players of all time, and inevitably, statistically, will be one of the best second basemen of all time when it's all said and done. And I was so, so mad that this happened, because I'm like, it just had to be this way. The Houston Astros are not going to go up 3-2. They do not deserve this series win. They did not deserve that win because of Brian Abreu, and now they're going to show us why they're the role of villain. Well, game six. We go back to Houston, where the Astros suck at home. (laughs) So let me point paint you a picture. El Bombi, (laughs) Adolis Garcia. Strikes out four times in this game. Gets massively booed and applauded when he strikes out by the Houston faithful. Four times. The golden sombrero in the postseason. Not what you want to see. You're thinking the Astros got him. They're in his head. He struck out four times since being plunked. That was mind games. You could think that. But, and I quote, the great, legendary Thomas J. Bauer Jr. II. Pimp that Cockshot Adolis, because that's what I said once he hit a grand <laughs> slam off of the Houston pitching to shut them the hell up. <laughs> and the Texas Rangers wound up winning that game 9-2, gave them the protection they needed in the last inning, and that's where Adolis Garcia started to click again. The Rangers evened up the series from this game. They made it and they forced a Game 7. Nathan Eovaldi, fantastic pitching in this game, only gave up the two runs, and that was all she wrote for the Houston Astros bats. Adolis Garcia, though, stole the game by hitting that home run to shut Houston the hell up. And given the circumstances, too, of that golden sombrero, 
completely redeemed himself within that game. Dude, I almost forgot that he struck out four times in a game because of that home run. I I know it fueled his, like, it fueled the story behind that, like, oh, after sucking the entire game, he hits this monster grand slam. But that's how much it wiped the slate clean, man. This guy's having a postseason for the ages, as you're going to see, both in Game 7 and Game 1 of the World Series. But this, to me, was just the stake to the heart of Houston, and it shows, because in Game 7, oh my god, it is apparent how much Adolis and the Rangers' bats absolutely stymied them. And mind you, Game 6, they stymied them too. I'm pretty sure they won like 9-2 to two was the final score of that game. Yes. Game 7, Jesus Christ, did these guys jump out early. Uh, do you remember how Tom said earlier that Christian Javier was working on a, uh, a nice little scoreless streak? I believe it was 20 and a third innings. Well, uh, it lasted a third of an inning more. And then he coughed up some runs. And then he coughed up some more runs. It turned into three in the first inning. I believe Adolis actually drove one of the men with a single. And it was one of, I'm not stuttering here, his five RBI on the day. You know how he had like a bad game in game six, but then redeemed himself? No, 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 no. He only got out one time in this game. He was four for five in the do or die game seven. And it all came to a head in the fourth inning when the Rangers put up four on them to put up, I believe that's, yeah, that's eight to two they went up against the Astros in the fourth inning, to which uh, Tom obviously quoted a famous scholar. I'm going to quote another one. This scholar, of course, being the prestigious Anthony J. Puglisi I, who so eloquently put upon that four spot being dropped, eat a massive showed, Houston. Uh, All capital letters, (laughs) no lowercase letters in sight, (laughs) because this was, I swear to God, Tom, if you got together a bunch of Yankees and Astros fans and Phillies fans in like a room together to watch this game seven, this would have been the party of the century. This this is literally showing up to Houston's grave to make sure that they're dead. Probably the most soul-sucking, gut-punching defeat that the Houston Astros could have gotten. And I'm going to be honest, I smiled ear to ear the entire time. Because if you remember, I convinced myself they were going to win. Coming to terms with the fact that they were no longer going to win? Oh my god, that felt good. That felt so f- good. Uh, moreover... Than just five RBI, Atolis Garcia also hit two home runs in this game, which brought his total for the series, I'm not making these numbers up by the way, five home runs, 15 RBI in seven games. Probably one of the easiest choices I've ever seen for championship series MVP. It really couldn't have been anyone else. As good as Nathan Eovaldi pitched, which by the way, he pitched amazing in game six, and Jordan Montgomery, who pitched amazing in relief in Game 7 after Max Scherzer got schlocked uh, for a couple too many base runners. The choice was Adolis. It was always going to be Adolis. El Bombi said, El f*** you to the Astros so many times yeah. in their season. So many times in this series, he's probably going to get barred from the city, and Arlington's going to build him a damn statue. I love it. This, Tom, this... This was not just a fun championship series by virtue of the games were fun to watch. As someone who maligns the Houston Astros, which I imagine a grand chunk of the baseball world does, this was beyond cathartic. That's the best way I can describe it. This was a cathartic as hell series. Uh, 
So, so satisfying. Another Houston choke job, another Houston series loss. Tony, I hope that statue you talked about for Adolis Garcia does read with the inscription, El Bombi said El f*** you. I really hope that's <laughs> the description. And I hope he's holding up a middle finger and it, it's like pointing at like Houston or something like that in their general direction as that statue is being built. I hope that's how it is erected. That would be absolutely amazing. But you, you hit it home. He instantaneously won the ALCS MVP. I mean, this is Randy Arozarena pretty much on steroids from a few years ago. Like, he had a fantastic postseason. El Bombia may have just topped him somehow in a postseason series with the heroics that he had alone against, like you said, the most hated team in Major League Baseball. Absolutely incredible work by Adolis Garcia. And by the way, that was a postseason record 15 RBIs um in a series as well yeah this 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 game seven i you wrote it in the rundown that texas uh took game seven personally it's literally that michael jordan meme that says and i took that personally that is adolis <laughs> garcia in this series he took all of that personally ah <sighs> so satisfying i'm so happy the texas rangers went on to the world series it also meant that we finally get a World Series without the Houston Astros or the Los Angeles Dodgers for the first time, I think, since, like, what was it, 2016 or something yep. like that? 2016. Hard to believe when you look back at it, but that is absolutely true. That shows you those teams' dominance, more or less the Astros' dominance, if we're really thinking about it. So that is the American League Championship Series. So now we'll move on to the National League championship series and we only unfortunately got through one game last time because of how the scheduling worked out however we do have six games to recap and again we'll go through this pretty quickly because just like that texas ranger series the momentum shifted once the venue changed so the phillies won their first two games in philadelphia specifically in game two it was a 10 nothing slaughtering of the Arizona mm-hmm. Diamondbacks. Aaron Nola, he cruised, cruised through six innings. Kyle Schwarber continued to go yard. He actually went yard twice. And Merrill Kelly, uh, oh, oh, I forgot about this. Uh, yeah, he said something not great about Philadelphia, which honestly I didn't think was too offensive. Uh, but of course, because it's Philadelphia, they take offense to anything that you say if it's any sort of slight at them. And uh, Merrill Kelly got absolutely lit up in this game. So that <laughs> happened in game two. And then we move on to game three, where this is where it started to shift. We went to Arizona and Arizona, believe it or not, actually won a baseball game for the first time in this series. Again, a two nothing lead for the Philadelphia Phillies. If that wasn't known already, it was a pitcher's duel until the heroic Ketel Marte himself walked it off in the ninth inning. And honestly, Tony, we might have to have the discussion of who's having the better postseason, Cattell Marte or Adolis Garcia. Statistically, it's probably Garcia, but Cattell Marte is on a completely another level in a different way from Adolis Garcia. Cattell Marte is just going on a complete hitting streak full of contact and all that, helping out the Diamondbacks in the small ways, whereas Garcia is more or less putting the ball over the fence, I feel like, a lot more. Um, but either way, both of them having a fantastic postseason. Uh, specifically, let's focus in on the Diamondbacks again here. Uh, Brandon Fodd and Ranger Suarez were the guys who um, were on the mound in this one. Oh, it was Craig Kimbrell that uh, sold it in the ninth. Oh, that's great. 
Uh, he loaded the bases. Yeah, he loaded the bases, and then obviously you could tell Marte uh, he walked it off in the ninth inning, and that sealed game three. And wow, the Philly offense, I didn't even realize this. They only got three hits in this game from Brandon Fodd, of all people. I think I've uh, put some slight at him just because it's Brandon Fodd. Um, but he is starting to earn, or not starting to earn, he's already earned his stripes this postseason for his great performances as well. We'll talk about that again more as we talk about the series, but now we have a 2-1 series through Game 3. We're in Arizona, and guess what? It kept going Arizona's way into Game 4. And in particular with Game 4, this one must have been a little more, uh, let's say vintage for the Phillies, because Tom, what were we saying a couple years ago when it comes to, oh, can the Phillies be competitive? No, because of their, fill in the blank, bullpen. So, (laughs) this is going to hurt a little extra for Phillies fans because the bats actually showed up this time. They got eight hits and they scattered five runs across innings four through seven. A nice, comfortable lead they had. It was five to three going into the eighth inning. That should be enough to hold down the fort. But here's my question. Philly Rob, why on earth are you going to Craig Kimbrell again in the eighth after he already completely torched you in game four? Excuse me, game three. (laughs) I don't understand that to this. I wasn't watching this game. I was just keeping up with the updates. I wasn't around to watch it. But when I saw I thought I read it wrong. But no, they brought Kimbrell in on no day's rest after he gave up a walk-off. And guess what happened? He f***ing imploded. Wow. Big shocker, I know. Like, explain to me why that makes sense. And moreover, why you keep him in after he gives up three hits, including one of them, which... I'm going to give this one from the Diamondbacks perspective because credit to Alec Thomas. He's been kind of the unsung hero for... uh for Arizona throughout this playoff run. Everyone's talking about Marte, everyone's talking about Carroll and Tommy Pham and Gabe Moreno, all deservedly so. The Diamondbacks are here because this is a team effort and nothing short of it. But Alec Thomas, man, he's been flying under the radar. He is a plus-plus defender out there in the outfield. He is fast as hell, and he has turned on the burners when it comes to hitting in this uh, in this here postseason. He may not be their MVP on the whole, but I don't know, man, when you're when you're contributing to your team's uh, chances to win with a 937 OPS, that's pretty good. And a good chunk of that OPS came in game four against Craig Kimbrell, where after allowing a runner to get on, he had already allowed a run, by the way. That's that's important. He allowed a run and Thompson kept kept him in. I don't know why, but (laughs) kept him in to face Thomas and Thomas just unloads, cracks a fastball into the right field seats. Two-run shot gives the Diamondbacks the lead. I would argue that's their most impactful hit of the series. Screw the series, the postseason so far. They don't get that hit and they're still down and potentially lose the game. They're down three games to one. That's damn near insurmountable. And considering they were going up against Zach Wheeler the next day? Yeah, no, that hit from Thomas just jacked up their championship win probability added. So kudos to him. No kudos at all to Craig Kimbrell, who is slowly but surely manifesting himself into molding cheese. He's going back to White Sox or Dodgers form. He was dreadful this postseason, I should say. Credit to the rest of the D-backs bullpen as well, particularly Kevin Ginkle and Paul Sewald, who up to that point and throughout the rest of the CS, I don't think they gave up a run. So huge props to them. They were the firemen for Arizona. 
And moreover, some more history from that night, Game 4 of this series took place the same night as Game 5, i.e. the very eventful ALCS game, between the two Texas teams. This marked the first time in playoff history that I could find, Tom, where both winners, or every winner I should say, overcame a multi-run deficit in the 8th inning or later to win. That's an incredible day of baseball. That is an all-time doubleheader. If you were on your couch that day watching, you know, Houston versus Texas, and then you occasionally uh, flip back and forth to the other game, you saw a pair of amazing games. So that was an amazing showing by the Diamondbacks. Next game I'm going to breeze through because not so much. There's not a ton to talk about with Game 5. Other than that, Zach Wheeler came to play. He was not about to have his boys go down 3-2. to two. He's been Phillies, really their only consistently great arm throughout every single round of the postseason. Nola was good. I think he had kind of a rough start, a rough go of things. I believe he started Game 6, actually, which was a Diamondbacks win. Spoiler alert. Uh, yeah, he did, and they rocked him pretty hard. But Wheeler was great. Phillies hitters came to play. Pretty clean win. The bullpen had the bullpen had enough leeway to not blow it, and they won six to one. Uh, game six again. I'm also going to get to really quick, and then Tom, I'll toss it to you for remaining thoughts. And game seven, uh, sure. this one was kind of the exact opposite. This time, Arizona came to play, and the props this time around have to go to 35, recently turned 35-year-old, happy birthday, Merrill Kelly, October 14th, but 35-year-old Merrill Kelly, their second-string starter behind Zach Allen, pitching like a Greek god down the stretch here in the postseason. We'll talk about him again in Game 2 of the World Series because we're going to talk about him in a pleasant light again, but he absolutely shoved, held the Phillies' bats to just one run as Arizona cruised to an easy win, making the series knotted at three. It's tough to score, Philly, when you don't score or when you don't hit 17,000 solo home runs per game that all go over <laughs> 460 feet. And not to spoil it, but let's just say that that whole trend kind of kept up for game seven. Tom, why don't you take it away? Yeah, so I'm not really going to have much to say about uh, games four, five, and six, although I did find an interesting tweet. This one actually came out tonight, Monday, October 30th, I told Tony earlier, because we talked about Craig Kimbrell, uh, from Dr. Evil Gritty on Twitter. Uh, they put out the following tweet. Parents, please inspect your kids' Halloween candy for dangerous and potentially life-threatening additives. I just found Craig Kimbrell in my daughter's Twix bar. Very scary situation. And then they photoshopped Craig Kimbrell doing his little bow on the mound uh, when he's preparing to pitch with a uh, half-open uh, Twix bar. So, very nice tweet by you, Dr. Evil Gritty. You win Twitter for the night uh, for that tweet alone. That's what my commentary is going to be like for games four, five, and six. In all seriousness, though, you're absolutely right. When the Phillies don't hit home runs, they can't score. It also didn't help that their star hitters, that being Trey Turner, Nick Castellanos, and Bryce Harper, essentially went ice cold once the NLCS started getting to high gear toward the end there. And real quickly on the home runs, because I wanted to bring this up. Uh, the Phillies hit 11 home runs in this series. The Diamondbacks hit five all series. So it really goes to show you that's where the offense from the Philadelphia Phillies actually really came from. I mean, of course, Alec Bohm had a lot of hits in this series. Brandon Marsh was doing well. I mean, Kyle Schwarber, he hit half of the team's home runs. He literally hit five home runs in this series and somehow oh drew more walks than strikeouts. He should really take a note of that for the regular season so that way he doesn't strike <laughs> out over 200 times and lead the league two seasons in a row. That would be really nice. Uh, <laughs> but 
that's besides the point. Home runs win you ball games, but you need to be clutch and timely with them. And that's kind of what happened when we got into Philly. Again, they had the advantage 3-2. They blew it 3-3. I don't know how the Phillies really let this one get out of their grasp. I know the Arizona pitching was really, really well, and we'll get into that. But the Phillies had everything going for them. They were in the most raucous ballpark in Major League Baseball in the postseason. By far, they had the best crowd. They are probably the best home playoff team that was in the postseason. And they lost the last two games of the NLCS to let Arizona advance to their first World Series since the 2001 season. Specifically, the final game ended in the score of 4-2 Arizona. The Phillies could only muster five hits throughout their two runs. And the surprise, surprise, one of them just so happened to be a home run from Alec Bohm. So, yeah, that's only half of their run production was the one solo shot, unfortunately, for them. And the Phillies, oh god, I thought this was just in one game for whatever reason, but this is more of an encapsulation of them over the last five games of the series. Five for 34 with runners in scoring position, Tony wrote down. That is absolutely atrocious, and that is the definition Mm -hmm. of ice cold and not clutch at all. That is literally that if you were to look it up in the dictionary, but... You have to thank two factors. One of them is Brandon Fodd, obviously. Dude went absolutely insane. He had a 186 ERA with 18 strike, uh, not 18 strikeouts, I'm sorry, 16 strikeouts in the series. And he really wasn't that much of the innings eater. But when he did pitch in the series, he was fantastic. October 19th, five and two thirds innings pitched, only two hits allowed, zero earned runs, and nine strikeouts. And on the 24th, which was the game seven, he only lasted four innings. He gave up two earned runs, only four hits, but he still struck out seven. So he's found a way to be effective in every single start of the series, and he is a big reason why the Phillies' bats were shut down. So he went the four innings, and then the bullpen literally took over the rest of the way for the Diamondbacks. They did not allow a run for the remaining five innings of this game, and thanks to Joe Mantiply, Ryan Thompson, who got the win, Andrew Salfrank, Kevin Ginkle, and of course, the legend himself, Paul Seawald. Only allowed one hit, mind you, as well. So, good for them. Uh, The Phillies pitching, I gotta say, honestly, wasn't that bad in this game. Again, they only allowed four runs, but they just couldn't get it going with the bats. So, that's, again, just really what it came down to. But somebody who did get it going with the bat was Cattell Marte, who we've been talking about. The MVP of the series by far for... Arizona, excuse me, had a, and with this game seven, he gave himself a 17 game playoff hitting streak, tying the all time record with Manny Ramirez and Derek Jeter. And apparently he also stole America tacos in the World Series. So good for Cattell Marte too, doing America a solid justice there. But <laughs> Cattell Marte, Tony, I'll let you talk about him a little bit more while I try and find the exact numbers I wanted to talk about with Bryce Harper, Turner, and, uh, Castellanos down the stretch. Cattell Marte was not the sole reason, again, the Diamondbacks won, but he was a very big part of that, obviously, with that long hitting streak. He definitely wasn't their only weapon. They had other ones, uh, particularly at the top of that lineup. I'm looking at guys like Corbin Carroll. I'm looking at breakout catcher Gabriel Moreno. And my God, does that make the Dalton Varsho trade look even better for Arizona? Honestly, the only bats I really see dragging them down, at least to some degree, 
are Christian Walker and Tommy Pham, who Tommy Pham will talk about in the World Series because he started off the series on a really good note. Uh-oh. Uh, I guess we'll talk about this when we get to the World Series, but I'm pretty sure they just took Adolis out of the game. Oh, no. He walked Crap. off grabbing his oblique after a swing. So, uh, according to Talking Baseball on Twitter. No. Okay, that's bad. Ah. Uh. And Scherzer got hurt because of back tightness, too. Well, him, you kind of expect that. And no disrespect to Max Scherzer, but that might be a good thing for the pink, the Rachel's pitching. I hope he's okay, though. I hope they're both okay, but uh, literally yeah, definitely just happened. Or something. That really sucks. Oh, boy. Well, uh, on a lighter note, back to the Diamondbacks. They had their supporting players, but their MVP was far and away Cattell Marte. Tom, like you said, he was the NLCS MVP. This playoff hitting streak he's got dates back to 2019, where he got a hit in four straight games, and now he's continued that through this postseason, which up to this point has lasted another 15. That's up and in, including today. Major props to him, and I feel like it makes it makes the most sense that this big onslaught of offense is coming from him, because if you don't know, Marte's actually the longest tenured D-back on this team right now. It doesn't seem that way because for some reason to me, in my head, Marte still seems so young, which in, in retrospect, he obviously is. You know, he's younger than 30. He's had two like all-star, all-time great Diamondback seasons under his belt now. And you, I think you could say he's bare minimum in running for face of the franchise up there with someone like Corbin Carroll. But it's just good to see. Had an amazing regular season characterized by a crisp 276 average and OPS just a couple ticks below rookie of the year favorite Corbin Carroll. And he hit 25 homers. This is a moment he's definitely been waiting for since he got moved to Arizona from the postseason tire fire that is the Seattle Mariners. Good for him, good for the Diamondbacks, and good for the Texas Rangers, because now they get to take part in what is, Tom, I don't think I exaggerate when I say probably one of the most improbable World Series matchups I've ever seen in my life. And I'm counting that one weird blip in time when we were little and the Rockies made the World Series. For those of you who don't know baseball <laughs> yes. that much, yeah, that actually happened. And they got their shit kicked in by the Red Sox because what did you think was going to happen? They had no good pitchers. Or how about inevitably in this playoff time when the 83-win St. Louis Cardinals won the 2006 World Series against the oh Detroit my God. Tigers? Because this, this was an 84-win <laughs> Arizona Diamondbacks, and they might do the same thing if Dolis Garcia and Max Scherzer can't play anymore in this series. <laughs> So that's not good. What's also not good, and I found the stats I wanted to, Nick Castellanos, Trey Turner, and Bryce Harper. 0 for oh 23 in those last two games at home. Those are your what? big money guys. 0 for 23. Wow. Uh, yeah, the team managed only three runs, and I'm assuming this is the team. 2 for 17 with runners in scoring positions those last two games at home. Yep, Schwarber, Harper, Turner, and Castellanos combined one for 15 in that Game 7 loss, and including JT Real Muto in the conversation, three for 36 in the final two games of the NLCS, including Schwarber, Turner, Harper, Real Muto, and Nick Castellanos. Those are $900 million in contracts, three for 36 the last two games. Another Philly collapse. What a world we live in. <laughs> but like you said, this is a f improbable World Series. And before we actually talk about the matchup, I want to point this out because the Milwaukee Brewers, <laughs> they're on the wrong side of history. So oh boy. every team 
that has beaten the Milwaukee Brewers oh. in a postseason series <laughs> has either advanced or won the World Series. I remember seeing that this. season. And this goes back in time till 1981, where you have the New York Yankees of that year. 1981, this goes back. It goes that far? Holy shit. I thought it was just in the 2010s. Oh, don't worry. I'm getting there because remember, the Milwaukee Brewers sucked for a while. So you're going to (laughs) look at it and say, yeah, they've only made this many playoff appearances. Yeah. And the teams they've beaten, again, have advanced or won the World Series. Notably in 1982, when the St. Louis Cardinals beat them in the World Series. And then we go to 2008 with the Philadelphia Phillies, 2011 with the St. Louis Cardinals, 2018 with the Los Angeles Dodgers, 2019 with the Washington Nationals, 2020 with the Los Angeles Dodgers again, 2021 with the Braves, and 2023 with the Arizona Diamondbacks. So that is, let me see, nine times they've made the playoffs in their franchise's history, and every team has either won or at least advanced to the World Series in those times that they've lost in the postseason. How about that? <laughs> Baseball's nuts. And watch, they're going to pull a show, a show, Walter. The first year without counsel, they're going to go to the World Series. I'm not going to say win. Imagine they just go. That would be the ultimate, like, f*** you to big market teams. That would that would honestly make me laugh. I, I, I got I to gotta be honest here. <laughs> but you wrote, like, lol brewers in the rundown. I'm like, what did you... What is that? What did I put that there? <laughs> but no, good catch. That's a that's an absolutely hilarious stat. That uh, if I'm a Brewers fan, makes me feel dead inside. But hey, you know what? At least they have a World Series ring. Uh, wait, no, <laughs> never mind. No, I'm no. thinking of someone else. Yeah, never mind. Yeah, you you didn't read the stat correctly. <laughs> no, uh, no, but- I didn't because I'm an idiot. <laughs> So next year, Tony, what I'm hearing is now that we know the stat is legit, if the Brewers make the playoffs, we know who we're going to put in the World Series by default. I think we can automatically assume that, knowing this for next season. Hopefully somebody reminds us on Twitter, otherwise we're going to look really (laughs) stupid when this inevitably happens for 10 times in a row. So, yeah, just some history for you. Well, here's the problem, Tom. What's going to be stronger? The Brewers' tendency to put other teams in the World Series or your tendency to get predictions so wrong that the team you don't pick goes to the World Series? If we're looking back at it historically, I did put the Brewers back in the 2021 World Series. So technically, if you want to look at that, I set the Braves up for success there. So you're so you're proving my point. Every team you pick, the opposite one does well. Yeah, usually, pretty much. I'm I mean, not hell, gonna look lie. at the prophecy. <laughs> look at the prophecy. Wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Did the Cardinals play the Phillies last year in the wild card? They did. They actually oh did. God. Oh my god. And this okay. year we have Tampa that <laughs> I said to win. Yeah. <laughs> Texas is in the World Series. Oh my god. Okay, okay. everybody listening right now. <laughs> Do us a favor, or do yourself a favor. This time next year, when we put out our preseason, or not sorry, not preseason, like postseason predictions at the start of the playoffs, bet against everything Tom says. Like me too, to an extent. But at least I got the Rangers right this year. Literally, bet against everything he says. If he says that, like uh, I don't know, Robbie Ray is going to win the Cy Young next year, don't draft Robbie Ray in fantasy. Don't do that to yourself. He's got powers. I'm starting to question if you've got like a curse on you. 
Oh boy, they don't call me the prophecy man for no reason. Honestly, I, I think I am the prophecy man now. I think we might have to revive that because of this. But, but reverse. <laughs> you're the anti-prophecy man. I think you're the hex man. Oh my god. I am the living incarnation of the Milwaukee Brewers. That is who Tom Bauer is in 2023. I don't know if I should feel ashamed or proud of that somehow in my mind this is making me equivalent to being smarter because i'm at least putting a team <laughs> in the world series <laughs> that has gotten past the team i put so i can at least say hey the teams i did pick lost to an eventual world series winner or loser so you're seeing this is like a superpower like oh man i yes. inadvertently make teams do really good i just can't point at them then they'll do really really bad. <laughs> this is like the revelation of the show. I feel like this is what we've been building up to since you became the prophecy man. Oh my god. Oh Any god. <laughs> if we ever make this a video podcast, I need to have a crystal ball in the corner. We might have to make that a segment. <laughs> For every prediction, just, alright, Tom, what do you see? I see the Phillies. Alright, everyone bet on the Braves. But on the Braves right now. <laughs> the D-backs are going to get trounced. All right. Bet on the D-backs. Let's go. Oh, my God. And for the record, by the way, I will not be recommending Robbie Ray as the Cy Young winner Robbie. for 2024. So Seattle Mariners fans listening to this, you can breathe a little bit more. Uh, I'm not going to pick Robbie Ray. Oh my god, Robbie Ray <laughs> to win the Cy Young. Robbie Way in 2024. Not going to go that way. <laughs> god damn it. Let's Oh my god. Wow. Speaking of Tom's it amazing took us 70 picks. it took us 78 episodes. <laughs> it took us 78 episodes to discover <laughs> I have a superpower. Oh my god. <laughs> Talk about character progression. I was going to say this seems like an accomplishment more than anything. Like, we've discovered you've got the anti, like, the anti-Midas touch. Is that a thing? Like, I'm not a betting man. I'm not a gambling man. Uh, apparently it is. Th at this point, at this point, I'm going to do an experiment next year, Tom. When we do our predictions, I'm going to actually put money <laughs> on literally anybody but who we pick. Maybe my MVP pick. Maybe because I, I have a decent track record with those. Your Cy Youngs, we'll see. But that's the thing. <laughs> no, no, year. we're not going to see. My Cy Young picks are terrible. But exactly. Especially in the American League. <laughs> that's something that we'll get to next year. For the time being, <laughs> let's see the fruits of your labor in terms of putting the Rangers and T-Packs over the top. Let's actually get to talking about the World Series. Because, Tom... Yes, please, for the love of God. The, <laughs> the greatest debate in America right oh. now is coming to a head here in the World Series. And I'm not talking about Rangers versus Diamondbacks. I'm talking about which postseason food is better, the Texas oh substantial beef shank or the Arizona apple pie chimichanga. Debate, people. Let's go. I say that people well, not being able to respond, but still, we'll make it as a Q&A <laughs> uh, on Spotify. I'm pretty sure you could do that now. We could do that. Now, will we look back and check it and actually get votes? Probably not. But we could do that, <laughs> is what you're saying. Uh, so what we have is either an Arizona dessert that resembles a chimichanga, or we have a Texas-sizable schmeat stick called the Heim Hammer. 
So which one are you going to be taking as your contender? The Schmeet or the dessert? If you're asking me, I'm going Schmeet 110%. I, this may be a controversial opinion, I'm not sure, but I'm not a big apple pie guy. <laughs> I don't know, like, everybody in my face, you're laughing. <laughs> we just had another <laughs> Would you hit that moment? <laughs> I'm 110% a Schmeet guy. Tony Puglisi, 2023. <laughs> Why did I actually... Why did I word it like that? God damn. You know, this is going to be in my half of the episode. You know what the worst part is? So much of me is going to want to take this out to save my face, but it's so funny. I, I, I'd almost feel guilty taking it out. Uh, so now, inevitably, if I take the Schmeet stick in this battle... <laughs> The chimichanga is going to come out on top, right, Tony? Because I think that's a track record I have going for me right now. Oh, that's absolutely how it goes. As if there's, like, some sort of competition. Like, uh, what did MLB do in the beginning of the year? Like, the ballpark food tournament or whatever? Yeah, mm-hmm. the... That's right. The whatchamacallit. The, the chimichanga would absolutely come on top, come out on top if you don't pick it. I'd say the same thing for the Heimhammer, which, by the way, is the most hilarious name I've ever seen given to a dish in my life. But no, if you're asking what I'm going with, I'm going with the, what did you call it? The Schmeet stick? The substantial, I, I'm still more on board with what MLB or the Rangers actually called it. And that is a substantial beef shank. That is a, that is an X-rated moniker just waiting to happen. I, as if this isn't an X-rated conversation we're having. I, yeah, exactly. But no, I don't know if this is an unpopular opinion or not. It probably is. I just not an apple pie guy. Anything beef, anything like barbecue, anything grilled, mother of God, put it in front of me. I'm going to eat it. That's a no brainer for me. Considering you just said you're not going to pick the chimichanga. So that means it must win. I'm guessing you're taking the schmeat as well. (laughs) Sorry, I can't say this. There's so much of this conversation that could be taken out of context so badly. I don't want to make any more controversial troubling (laughs) statements, but yes, I am going with the substantial beef shank over the chimichanga. That would probably be my preference. I hope you know, if I edit my half before you edit yours tomorrow or Wednesday, whenever this is, you're getting this entire segment as a blooper. Like, for this time (laughs) next year... I surely hope so. (laughs) You'll get bits and pieces, obviously, but the Schmeet debacle will absolutely be a whole segment in... The next blooper compilation at this point, because what have I done? What have I started? God, let's talk about the World Series before I... The the timestamp just wrote itself, the Schmeet debacle. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, like in the episode when we're posting it, we're going to make it the Schmeet. Oh, you're right. Yep. Oh boy, that's oh my god, that's perfect. I hope people, you know what I hope. I hope when we post this episode, you know how we sh- we could track the analytics. If you guys didn't know this, of when you listen to the episode, normally it's like a big spike in the beginning, and then it just tapers off. You know, like like that happens everywhere. I'm expecting just a random spike in the middle, like middle to back end of the episode, and it's gonna be at this exact timestamp. I'm terrified that that's probably gonna be the reality, but it probably will be. If there was ever a reason to restart the audiograms, this would be the reason. (laughs) Just so that way we can sell the debate.
<laughs> and the post is just uh, going to be labeled Shmeet Tabakle with one little, one pole beneath it. Team Shmeet anyway. versus Team Pie. Which one would, which side are you taking? Oh god, that sounds so much worse. Oh god, okay. You started that! That's what you said! Actually, I think I, I said that. it, but it doesn't I... matter. Can... <laughs> let's go, let's move on. Let's talk about the actual World Series before the Shmeet gets more out of hand. So, Rangers and Diamondbacks. There's officially two games in the book right now, although a third one's currently happening. It's top, oh, it's actually top nine. It's 3-1 Rangers. The only run that, I'll give you the game three synopsis, super brief right now. The only run that the Diamondbacks scratched across was because Aroldis Chapman happened. It was bound to happen sooner rather than later. And the three runs Texas scratched across came from their two most valuable contracts. Marcus Semien finally came through. You haven't been hearing him a whole ton because he's not been doing a whole ton. At least he's been playing every game, which is something Tom actually brought up before the episode started. This man is the modern day Iron Man at this rate. I don't think he's missed a game yes. in God knows like a couple of years now at this point. And this is including this, this year's postseason. Hasn't missed a game. He drove in a run with a single. And then Corey Seager, mother of God. If you guys haven't seen this home run, look up Corey Seager's home run in game three. Must have hit it 200 miles an hour, and it still somehow landed like 420 feet from home plate. It, a, a laser shot off the bat of Corey Seager, and that's where we stand right now at 3-1. to one. That's game three. Let's talk about game one. Because, Tom, I'm not exaggerating even a little bit when I say this is one of the best World Series games I've ever seen in my life. I made it my prerogative. That day, I wasn't going to do any work. I wasn't going to do anything else with my day. When the World Series was on, I was going to sit my happy ass down and watch it. That's exactly what I did. Every inning, all 11 innings, and I may have gone a little crazy with the rundown. I actually wrote this rundown. This is one of the longest rundowns I've ever written during the game. So <laughs> I'm going to take the spearhead on this one for game one, Tom, and then I'll pass it off to you. Give your thoughts. So it was a matchup between Nathan Eovaldi and Zach Gallen, both pitchers who have been you know, hot and cold-ish throughout the year. Eovaldi's definitely picked it up throughout the postseason. But Gallen, especially through the Fall Classic, has been uh, not the best as of late. And that showed very thoroughly in the first inning, because not only could he not really have command of the zone, there was one point where he threw 22 pitches, and it was half and half, 11 balls, 11 strikes. The Rangers took advantage of a rather sluggish Zach Gallen and put up two runs, just like that. Evan Carter almost went yard. He drove a double into the gap, which drove home Corey Seager, and then Adolis Garcia does what Adolis Garcia does best, and drives in a run. That tied a record for the most RBI in one postseason. Tied it with noted Ranger killer David Freeze. Irony at its best. Uh, the number was 21, by the way. 21 RBI in one postseason. That is ridiculous. A Rosarena in an extended playoff couldn't even do that. But nevertheless, Rangers strike first. The Diamondbacks, you might as well call them the answerbacks, but they clap back with three of their own wow. in the third, thanks in large part to Corbin Carroll. I know that was terrible. He doubled home a pair, or actually, I think he tripled home a pair, and then he scored on the very next play on a fielder's choice from Cattell Marte. Great inning by the Diamondbacks, <laughs> immediately undone by Zach Gallen walking the bases loaded, and then walking in a run, which I believe was Mitch Garver, so good job, Zach. I'll give him a little bit of credit, though, because he actually managed to last a little longer than Nathan Eovaldi, and I say that because... 
Tommy Pham in the very next inning blasts a solo shot off of Avaldi, making it four to three Diamondbacks. Arizona tacked on one more, making it five to three going into the bottom of the ninth inning. Some pretty good pitching capitalized upon those late innings there. The bullpens of both the Rangers and the Diamondbacks did a great job leading up until the ninth inning. But in the ninth inning, it was time for Paul Seawalt to pitch. And normally, that's a very good thing for the Diamondbacks, because up until this point, he's not allowed to run in the postseason. He's been nailed. He's closed out a number of games for them thus far. Until tonight, when not only did he suffer his first blown save, in turn, he suffered his first earned runs. When Corey Seager, who the hell else, jumps on the first pitch, I kid you not, the first pitch he gets from, from Paul Seawald, Knew it off the bat, screamed like a maniac the second he made contact, threw the bat near the dugout, skipped and shuffled his way down the first baseline. All of Arlington lost their mind. I almost lost my mind, because I think it was in that moment I knew I was watching an all-time game. 5-5, there was a runner on, I believe it was Leody Tavares who drew a walk. Just amazing work by the Rangers staying in this game. It immediately goes into extra innings, which, uh, after not being able to capitalize upon that, credit to Jose LeClerc and Kyle Nelson pitching very, very strongly in the 10th, and LeClerc as well in the 9th. Texas' closer has been very, very good throughout the postseason. We go to the 11th, and if it's not going to be Corey Seager, you know who it's going to be. Adolis Garcia was set to lead off against Kyle Nelson. And this man at this point, he's either got to be cheating or he's Superman at this point because he blasts a home run to win the game. Tom, when he hit this, I thought it was an out. That's how strong he is. It was one of those like weird opposite field. Like, you know, like the best comp I could give this is, you know, when you see like a DJ LeMahieu home run, it's like up top away in the zone and he hits it. He hits it a mile high, but thanks to Yankee Stadium, it's like just enough to get over the wall. It's like that but with a real right field wall. And I say that being a Yankee fan, because Adolis is so strong, he took a middle-middle, I think it was a slider or a changeup of some kind, muscles it the other way, just out of the reach of Corbin Carroll. Rangers win, they go bananas, all-time game one. And that, mother of God, that set the tone for the series. The, the first bullet point I wrote for game one was literally, oh baby, this is going to be a fun series. And if you're keeping score at home, that homer by Adolis put him over David Freeze, giving him the all-time record for ribbies in a postseason. Congrats to Adolis and congrats to the Rangers. That was a monster effort to start out a World Series. Speaking of David Freeze, on October 28th, the night of Game 1 of the World Series, 12 years ago on that date, David Freeze hit the game-tying triple in the ninth in the walk-off in the 11th of Game 6 of the 2011 World Series against oh, yeah. the Texas Rangers. And that night, Corey Seager hit the game-tying home run in the ninth, and Adolis Garcia walked it off in the 11th. A little bit of a flashback, but this time for a positive reason for the Texas Rangers. And, by the way... Some more history for Adolis Garcia, the first player to hit a walk-off home run in Game 1 of the World Series since... Who, Tony? Gotta be Gibson. You got it, Kirk Gibson in 1988. Let's go. You nailed that one. One of the best home runs of but all time. you are absolutely right. This did set... Yes, one of the best home runs of all time, and, as you mentioned, set the entire tone for this World Series. I mean, it was that back-and-forth game, and then, like you mentioned, Texas came back, they didn't have that in them in Game 2, unfortunately, though, down in Texas. Moving on to that, Merrill Kelly 
seven innings of a gem for the Arizona Diamondbacks, and they small-balled Texas to death. They put up six, wow, 16 hits. I didn't even realize it was that much. Holy crap. So editing note that we're going to throw into the middle of our recording, uh, Cattell Marte, he set the streak for the playoff game uh, hitting streak at 18 games in Game 2 of the World Series, and he did not tie the record in Game 7 of the NLCS. So apologies for that. He tied that record in Game 1 of the World Series, and then he set the record in Game 2 of the World Series. Just some clarification there. And then also in this game, Gabriel Moreno. Again, they're noted trade in the offseason. He went yard, and Tommy Pham, 4 for 4 on the day. Talk about a clutch midseason acquisition for the Diamondbacks. It's usually those small acquisitions that do so much that you don't even think about. Mm -hmm. Think back to the Braves in 2021. Jorge Soler, World Series MVP. Midseason acquisition. Eddie Rosario, I believe, was also a midseason acquisition that year. Those small little trades mean so much when it comes to the playoffs, and it meant so much here. And he actually could have been 5-for-5 on the day, which would have been the first 5-for-5 day in World Series history. But supposedly, and this comes from his Instagram account, I believe this was a comment that he said, he asked Tori Lovello to pinch hit him for Jace Peterson so Peterson could get his first World Series at bat. That's a hell of a teammate right there. I don't think he was aware of the history at the time. I think he admitted that. But even then... What a guy for doing that. Honestly, a gentlemanly move for Tommy Pham there. But more importantly, the Diamondbacks did go on to win this game over the Texas Rangers by the score of 9-1. to one. Oh my god, yeah, it was much more of a slaughtering than I thought it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, <laughs> not a good game for Texas. Not a good game. The first not good game for Jordan Montgomery in the postseason because he's been nails this postseason, but... Obviously didn't get it going here. Actually, he went six innings, so it wasn't... Okay, actually, I'm starting to see a different picture. It wasn't necessarily his greatest showing. He went six innings. He gave up four runs in those innings. Uh, And then it looks like Martin Perez actually gave up four runs later in the game, and Chris Stratton gave up a run. So good job by the Texas bullpen completely unfolding like they inevitably did in the regular season, and then then obviously just did this here in, in the worst of times. Yeah, no, just not their best showing in game two. Props to the Diamondbacks for not letting the pressure of game one get to them, particularly at the top of this order. You already mentioned Tommy Pham with four hits, but directly above him, Christian Walker got a hit. Gabriel Moreno hit a home run, like you said. Corbin Carroll got two knocks. And Cattell Marte, like you said, set that all-time record at 18 straight games with a hit as he recorded one of his own. Actually, something I just noticed, every single Arizona starter got a hit. There were three instances of a pinch hitting happening. Jace Peterson, oh, like yeah. you mentioned, and then Paven Smith pinch hit for Evan Longoria late in the game. He did not get a hit, but the guy who pinch hit for him, Emmanuel Rivera, not only got a hit, but drove in two runs. So good for him. I believe he actually doubled tonight as well here in game three, which is actually funny enough getting into the bottom of the ninth. Leclerc is in against Gabriel Moreno. We will happily keep you posted at the outcome of this game. But no, Game 2 is the statement win that uh, that the Diamondbacks needed, basically sending a message to Texas that they're not going to go quietly. You may have won, you may have beat us at our game, well guess what, now we're going to beat you with our game. Texas's only run came on a solo shot from Mitch Garver, the rest of the lineup looked pretty lost with multiple guys in the lineup striking out multiple times. Not their best showing. Obviously better in Game 3, but we'll have to wait and see how this uh, 
transpires and affects the remainder of the World Series. So that's kind of where we stand right now. At the time you're listening to this, there's going to be another game in the books because game four is actually tomorrow. And obviously the earliest this is going to go up is Wednesday. We'll see where we stand there. But Tom, unless you have any other things to say about game two, we've only got a couple more bullet points down here. And that's it's kind of an interesting debate that we pondered with this. I don't, I don't want to say debate, but I suppose notes about both of these teams. And that's how they, uh, let's say, rebuilt themselves in a little bit. Because I think mm-hmm. the big, the biggest thing that defines this World Series as improbable is where these both of these teams were just two short years ago. And to not sugarcoat it, they were both in the <laughs> I'll let you, <laughs> yes. I'll, I'll let you spearhead this one. Yes, and I'm actually going to start a debate in this one if it hasn't been started already. But first, I want to point out, because you mentioned Evan Longoria, I think I want to give him some moment in the sun right here. His first season in Major League Baseball, 15 years ago, at the age of 22, he made that World Series with the Tampa Bay Rays. That was back in 2008, and now back at the age of 37, he is back in the Fall Classic for his second time, potentially maybe even his final season. Who knows? That would be a great way to go out. Make the World Series your first year, make it your last year. This actually leads into my conversation about the rebuilds and all that, because I think we may have clowned Evan Longoria possibly when he signed with the Arizona Diamondbacks because he said he wanted to join a contender. And I think we kind of spit in his face a little bit in free agency when that happened. But it's weird how the Arizona Diamondbacks got here because this was a team that we were high on in the preseason. (laughs) Funnily enough... (laughs) We'll talk about it in our New Year's resolutions when we eventually get around to them for 2024, but let's just say we didn't have the kindest words for the Arizona Diamondbacks looking (laughs) into the 2023 season. In fact, we thought they were going to be an afterthought, and here they are in the World Series. An 84-win season. Again, we were high on them in the preseason, not to make the postseason, but to start making some noise in their development and their rebuilding. Because if you don't remember, like the Texas Rangers, this team lost over 100 games two years ago. I believe it was actually 111 games to be specific for the Arizona Diamondbacks, they went 5-40 in the middle of that season throughout a stretch. It almost cost Tori Lovello his job, we felt like. And we were like, yeah, maybe he should have been fired. Well, guess what? He's in the World Series now with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Completely improbable. But this is where I get into the regular season debate. Does the regular season actually matter in baseball? Does it actually matter? Especially with this playoff format. And I'm always on... wanted to be on the side of the teams just need to play better in the postseason. I do believe that. But does it really matter in the grand scheme of it all when you have a team like the Diamondbacks making the World Series when, as Chris Russo would put it, they probably didn't deserve to? And by the way, Chris Russo still hasn't retired yet. We haven't talked about that, but he said if uh, the Diamondbacks (laughs) won Game 7 that he would retire. And he is still yet to do that. So uh, shame on you, Chris Russo, for not actually doing that. But <laughs> then again, did we actually really expect him to retire? Either way, it's giving the Diamondbacks some food for thought or for father. So you know what? If it sparked them, then you know what? Good for them. But the regular season to be. We've seen it in the past two years where the sixth seed in the National League made the World Series. But I think this is more of a case of this year. And maybe this is just recency bias. But does the regular season actually matter? if the Diamondbacks are just going to make the postseason because they got lucky 
in the last two months of the season. And now they're playing their best baseball, and they defeated great teams along the way. The Brewers, the Dodgers, the Phillies, and now they're in the World Series with the Texas Rangers, another great team. They earned their stripes from beating those teams alone, and they certainly defied my expectations. But this team at one point was under 500, I believe, in the month of August, or at least in the very late of July. And then they turned it around. And we've seen this recently, actually, in the National League quite a bit. Uh, where the Phillies started off really slowly last year. They made the World Series. 2021, the Braves, they lost Ronald Acuna Jr. midway through their season, and they weren't playing that great. They sparked a comeback, and they won the World Series. 2020, that was the COVID year. We're not counting that in this conversation. But 2019, the Washington Nationals, I believe at one point they were 31-39, and and they made the World Series, and they won it. So maybe it's just recency bias, but I feel like it's a conversation that's been had that I've seen at least of does the regular season really matter? And I'm interested in your thoughts on this, Tony, because my mind is conflicted that these teams that were so great just don't go so far. And again, that goes to you need to show up in October, but does the regular season necessarily matter if your season can collapse just like that in three games? It's a tough debate to have because, I mean, folks were having a much more, let's say, pedestrian version of this conversation when the Braves got eliminated, but we crossed that bridge already. We're not going to retread those tracks. Um, Mm -hmm. It's a tough conversation to have because there's no real quantifiable metrics to sort of measure this by. I'm used to looking at success in Major League Baseball by stats, numbers, rates, stuff like that. There's nothing really here. There's no, like, trend because, you know, the Astros last year were great in the regular season and they won the World Series. Conversely, the year before, they were great in the regular season and lost in the World Series. So, I feel like this expanded postseason structure has definitely led to a little more chaos, as uh, D-backs fans have loved to coin it, that, you know, it really can welcome in chaos and that a lower seed can upset a higher seed very easily. I think the argument's definitely one to be had, but I also tend to cheat towards the side of the regular season does matter, because that doesn't just give you the chance to set up, set yourself up for success in the best way possible in the postseason. It's giving you basically a year-long stretch to study and learn your opponent. That's something that doesn't get talked about a ton when it comes to preparation for the postseason it's not just and i feel like most casual baseball fans don't think about it this way it's not just a coach sitting down with his team like it is in the movie you know clapping his hands like all right guys we're gonna go out there we're gonna do this it's sitting down in front of a computer saying all right merrill kelly let's just say you're on the the rangers the pitching coach sits down with i don't know jordan montgomery says all right Cattell Marte hits this pitch and that pitch really well let's go let's try and cheat towards this pitch a little bit to try and minimize the damage he could do And you do the same thing with the pitchers, you do the same thing with the bullpen arms, or the starters in the bullpen arms. I feel like every single baseball team, like, back in the day when, you know, Moneyball was big, and even before that, when the team with the biggest payroll could just buy a World Series ring, I'm a Yankees fan, I know what that's like. This is probably the most, I'll say this, Tom, this is probably the most even the field has been when it comes to fielding a competitive team in Major League Baseball. Everybody's got access to computers. Everybody's got access to analytics. And if you can't put up in the postseason, then I'm sorry. At least some of the blame is going to be on you. There's going to be instances where, you know, you run into a juggernaut or you run into some bad luck. 
But nine times out of 10, if you fail in the postseason, that's on you or it's on the manager or it's on the hitters. I don't want to just discount the regular season because the better teams don't always win the World Series. That's always been that way. Long before the playoffs were expanded this way. Hell, you could go back to any postseason where it wasn't just the best in the American League and the best in the National League that were that would win it. Yeah, I'm going way back when, where like the, the people who were boomers to boomers were like, oh yeah, I remember back when Joe DiMaggio could lead the Yankees to 17 World Series in a row because they were the best in the American League by far. Any postseason structure after that could fall under the umbrella of, oh, does the regular season matter? I think it's a valid argument to have, especially now when there's so many levels to the postseason where it more so resembles the Na- uh, the National Hockey League. But I still cheat to the side of the regular season matters because that is your preparation, so to speak. That's like, let, let's just say if the postseason is a marathon, the regular season is the five months of you stretching and long distance running to prep yourself for the inevitable stretch you have in October. I'm sorry if that was long-winded, if that, mm. I, I hope, it, it made sense in my head, because I I know I may have jumped from point to point there a couple times, but I, I think that's how that's just how I feel. You have every tool at your disposal to win. If you don't use it, that's on you. That That's how I see it. No, it, what you said is absolutely great, because it's what my mind needed to hear. It's just that mental query I've been having, because my mind... I just don't think it can comprehend that really the Arizona Diamondbacks are in the World Series. And they're a competitive team in the World Series, too. And I think oh, it's yeah. really just shocking my mind more than anything, really. It's that, really, this team is here? But they've played arguably the best baseball in October. So, I mean, it, it, it's just shocking to me. And obviously, the regular season matters. I do love this post postseason format. Because, again, it gives it more competitive balance. It means more games, which I'm never going to complain about, even though there's a 162-game season. When it matters most and you get more national games, that's fantastic. So I, I can't complain about that. I'm a big proponent and believer in this postseason format and everything about, like, you got to show up in October. But it's just, I, I, it's just my mind is having trouble processing that this is really happening. That it's Texas versus Arizona. Maybe I'm just entering the mind of Robert Manfred, and I'm thinking, how the hell is this the World Series? The ratings are going to suck, and blah, blah, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. So maybe that's just a sign of the boomer coming out of me, even though I'm only 24 years old. I don't know. I just wanted to throw that out there because my mind has just been juggling with that because I know they deserve it and I know the regular season obviously matters because of many reasons that I could list but I'm not going to because of time but it's just something that my mind has been tossing around I guess the last thing I'll just wrap up with how crazy this matchup really is in the series is again looking back at these two teams just two years ago again losing 100 plus games and I'm going off of this regular season debate now that that's over they lost 100 games just two years ago And they've built their franchises a little bit differently. Well, actually, a lot of it differently. People were so happy because the Padres, Mets, and Yankees, the three biggest spenders, didn't make the World Series this year. Yay! Or not (laughs) even the World Series. Didn't even make the postseason this year. It was disappointing on all (laughs) three teams for just how cheerily poorly their seasons were. Well, number four was the Texas Rangers. So you can uh, put that whole payroll thing back in your uh, pocket. Texas built around their payroll, getting their signature franchise guys. And of course, they built guys through the farm as well. But that's just the way they built their team. And then you have a team like Arizona, 
Tony, you're laughing hysterically. What the hell happened? Uh, no, I'll, I'll get to it later when I get to my point. Um, I, let's just say I'm going down memory lane when it comes to the Diamondbacks and Rangers, but please finish your point. I'll get to mine in a minute. Excellent. All I'm going to say is Arizona built theirs solely through the farm, and they're still building their team together. I mean, obviously, if you're going to ask me who's a contender for who's going to fall back from where they were this year and how they achieved, I'm going to say the Arizona Diamondbacks are that number one team because I don't think they'll make the World Series again last next year, at least on paper. Last you can't year. always accumulate luck and sheer baseball lucking the gods and all that stuff. But yeah, they just built their teams a little bit differently. Like the Rangers spent, they have a high payroll, and you got Arizona, who solely really built through the farm. Obviously, they made some trades. The Dalton Varsho trade for Gabriel Moreno. They got Lourdes Guriel Jr. They acquired Cattell Marte from a trade and all their other guys too. But it's just these two teams built their teams differently. And that's honestly refreshing not to see always necessarily the team with the highest payroll making the World Series. 100%. And credit where credit's due, the Rangers didn't, as much as I say they bought their rotation and they bought their team, they still developed a good chunk of players on that team. Credit Jonah Heim, credit to Josh Young, credit to Adolis Garcia, obviously, who, slight asterisks there, they DFA'd him before his breakout rookie yeah. campaign, but <laughs> you know what? They got him back, so <laughs> crisis averted. Could you imagine they DFA'd him and he went to, like, the Dodgers, mother of God? Oh, um, Jesus, hell no. I don't, I don't even want to think about that. <laughs> Special note as well to Evan Carter, another farmhand who's come up big for them. 21 years old, number one prospect in the system, heavily rumored to be, you know, a trade piece with them getting guys like Max Scherzer and other rentals at the deadline. I don't think there was ever a fear that he would be traded, but considering how other top 10 prospects were dropping like flies at the deadline... It's definitely a smart move that they held on to guys like him and Brock Porter. They're going to be huge for the Rangers down the stretch. And it's a big reason I think they're going to be successful down the stretch, Tom. I agree with you. I feel like they're more built for success compared to the Diamondbacks. But again, no slouch to them either. They have some amazing prospects, not just at the big league level. They still got an A-plus farm system. They've got Jordan Lawler just waiting in the wings. He had like a cup of coffee mm -hmm. towards the end of this year. His breakout is going to come in a year or two, and that's going to be amazing to compliment uh, Corbin Carroll and Alec Thomas in the outfield and Cattell Marte at second base. These are teams that are going to be good for a long, long time. And seeing them both peak so early, it's got me cautious that hopefully they won't fall back down to earth, but I think they could keep it up. I think they can. And I'm sorry, one more shout out before I get to the point I was laughing about earlier. To the GMs of both teams, Chris Young for the Gi uh, the Giants, good job, for the Rangers, <laughs> luring Bruce Bochy out of retirement and getting all these trades and signings done. Amazing work for him, filling the shoes of John Daniels, who did nothing but spin the tires at, as the Rangers' chief of baseball ops. Uh, and obviously, credit to Bruce Bochy, we've credited him a ton on this show for good reason. But the Diamondbacks, man, we've not talked about this guy at all, and he deserves a lot of credit. Mike Hazen is their GM. Folks were calling for his head back in 2021, and to be fair, they had a point. They lost. They went 5-40 and 40 at one point, like Tom said, that uh, you'll call for anyone's head after a stretch like that. But no, he kept his cool, shook off some bad contracts like Mad Bum, shook off some bad trades like the Goldschmidt trade, and really built the team back up. Like, I'm really proud of the work he's done. If I was him, I'd be astonishingly proud of myself for turning the team around this quickly. 
and especially in such a wake in the wake of something terrible happening to him if you if you aren't aware i believe his wife actually lost her battle with cancer recently all our thoughts and prayers are with mike hazen and his family that is a horrible thing he had to endure and seeing his team rise from the ashes and go to the world series this early into its supposed rebuild is such a heartwarming thing to see in such a dark time in his life so i really hope that if should the diamondbacks win that's going to be a win for Mike Hazen, not just his duties on the field, but off the field in such a bad time in his life. So God be with Mike Hazen and the rest of his family. Kind of a weird segue, but that thing, Tom, that I was looking at and laughing at, I was curious because this season for both the Rangers and the Diamondbacks coincided with the first year we did this podcast and hence the first year we did the how after they scale. So I wanted oh, to take God. I wanted to take a little <laughs> trek back and I'm going to start with the Rangers because we were actually pretty nice to them. This was the offseason where they signed Seeger and Semyon and we actually gave them rebuilding and retooling, which if you guys aren't aware, that's basically middle of the pack. You're not great, you're not terrible, you're just going through the motions of a rebuild. And our little description here on Instagram reads this was one team Tom and Tony considered changing after their free agency spending splurge. However, with their pitching held together by string and superglue, they won't compete anytime soon. But we expect this team to become relevant sooner rather than later. I'm, Tom, I'm giving us a pat on the back for that one. That's pretty optimistic I, for a team that, that would bad. make... No, honestly, for a team that made the World Series two years later, that's pretty damn good. Uh, now, did we think they were going to make the World Series two years later? Hell no. Oh, no. But that doesn't matter. <laughs> the take that we had at least looks somewhat good. Oh, yeah. At the time, that looks great. And I wanted to lead with that one because this take we had on the Diamondbacks is uh, even funnier. Yeah. If I recall, we put them on Everything is on Fire this year. Oh, we the did. first time we did it. We did. You had this nice little picture of, is this Zach Gallen just kind of with his, with his hands on his head, just <laughs> contemplating his life? <laughs> Oh, yeah, back when pitchers could hit in Major League Baseball. Imagine that. seems like an ancient time ago. (laughs) Our description of this one was a little more, uh, a little more caustic. We said, this team is rebuilding and retooling, no question about that. But when you have a 5-40 and stretch of the season with, I forgot about this, a 24-game road losing streak down there... You're entering some (laughs) terrible territory. It's going to be a long road to success for Diamondbacks fans. Welp, it wasn't that long. (laughs) So, we'll eat all the (laughs) we can after that prediction, but could you blame us? 24 road losses in a row? That's both depressing at the time, but all the more impressive that they were able to turn around this uh, this quickly. And most of the players on that team actually stuck with them for this playoff run, chiefly Cattell Marte, Christian Walker, Zach Gallen, etc., etc. That's really all the fuel I wanted to add to this. Props to both these teams for such a quick turnaround, be it through trades, free agency, developing farmhands. That's really all I've got to say about it, is props to these two teams, and however the World Series goes down the stretch, frankly, I'm going to be happy. I like both of these teams and the strides they've made to get here. So go Rangerbacks. Rangerbacks in seven. That's my prediction for the rest of the stretch. I I feel like I'm going to jinx someone or bare minimum Tom, you'll jinx someone. So that's, that's my prediction. I, I just hope both, I just hope for a good world series down the stretch. That's it. Oh, and uh, one last thing. Rangers won. Three, one, nothing in the bottom of the ninth, the end. Uh, what did happen in the uh, top of the ninth 
is Gabriel Moreno got absolutely screwed on a 3-1 call by Alfonso Marquez. It was a slider that was completely off the plate, and it was called a strike. And there is no one out. 3-1, bomb of the ninth again. And Gabriel Moreno was pissed. You could just see him roll his eyes. Because he's the catcher. He knows that's not a strike more than anyone on that field. (laughs) And you can see in the replay, it did not even hit the plate. It hit the line in the left-handed uh, batter's box of oh uh, the God. inner line closest to the home plate. And that was called a strike, and that was absolutely pivotal. That was, again, Alfonso Marquez behind the plate, and Jeff Passan responded. There have been a couple of exceptionally bad ball strike calls tonight, one in the ninth inning of a 3-1 game that makes a difference between a walk and an wow. eventual ground out is just not acceptable. Not good. Real quickly, uh, just because I was curious just to see how we put the uh, how after are they scale this year. For the Arizona Diamondbacks, you put them in rebuilding and retooling, obviously. San Diego Padres, you put in ain't no stopping us now. So that's going to look really good <laughs> on us. Uh, <laughs> oh, which, boy. by the way, if you don't know, is our highest category where it's like they are a contender. They are a possible World Series winner. And we actually did put them both of as yeah. our World Series winners. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, sure up with depth, we actually did for the Rangers. We actually gave them more props than needed. And then we somehow projected them to win less than... Uh, 500% of their game, 50% of their games. So good for us for doing that. <laughs> go us. Yeah, go us. That's it. That's the episode. Uh, notes from this game, Max Scherzer. He has back tightness. He had to be taken out. If you didn't hear this already in the er- earlier portion of the episode, he uh, took a comebacker off the back and then was pulled very promptly later. He came back in the game and then had to get promptly pulled. And Adolis Garcia, he looks like he had an oblique injury. It looks like he pulled a muscle on a swing when he followed through. He left the ballpark and presumably to undergo tests on his left side of his body. So they can potentially shake up the series going forward. However, Texas has the 2-1 lead in Arizona after game three. That's all she wrote. Yep. I really don't have much more to add to that other than never trust anything we say ever in the preseason. That stuff is for clicks and lulls. One last thing, speaking of lols, I went back to 2021 for the NL Central just for fun because I noticed we got a comment, and it's our good buddy Will from college who (laughs) said, and I quote, all hail Mr. Deep Drive to left, and I completely forgot that's what we called Castellanos in the Reds recap. (laughs) God, that's when they sold Luis Castillo too, Uh. that's funny, but... That's all I got to say. Let's hope for a good World Series down the stretch, folks. It's off to a damn good start. And I don't want it to go by quickly because that means baseball's over. But hey, we'll crown a new World Series winner, be it a two-time champ or a potential first-time champ in the Texas Rangers. We'll have to wait and see, folks. That is absolutely true. Of course, because Game 4 hasn't happened yet, and potentially Game 5, this episode will be releasing potentially after both games have happened. So again, apologies for not being able to talk about that. That's just mm-hmm. the way our schedule has to work out. However, the next time we record, there will be a World Series winner. And who will that be? They're going to have to stay tuned to find out. Thank you so much for listening to Episode 78 of the Diamond Duo Podcast. Again, my name is Tom Bauer, as always, joined by my co-host and co-producer, Tony Puglisi. Go give us a follow on social media, at the Diamond Duo Pod on Twitter, at the Diamond Duo Podcast on Instagram. Give us a follow wherever you listen to this podcast, whether it be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere else. Please do that and give us a rating, hopefully a high rating. We do appreciate that very much. 
Until next time, enjoy the rest of the World Series. Enjoy the baseball season as we've got it for the next few days. We'll talk to you soon.